0: Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Times Opinion Podcast. I'm Philip Webster. I'm editor of the Times Red Box Bulletin. This morning I've got with me Sam Coates, deputy political editor of The Times, Hugo Rifkind, Times columnist and leader writer, and Patrick Kidd. Times sketch writer and diary editor.
1: George Osborne got the strategy wrong, the tactics wrong, the politics wrong, the communications wrong and the people handling skills wrong. All the things the Chancellor is meant to be good at. We're talking, of course, about the tax credit debate. MPs think his reputation has taken a hit. After riding high over the summer, the Chancellor's reputation is probably due a correction anyway. But Boris would be unwise to think that things have swung too much in his favour. Anyway, the tax credit problem is still far from solved. Anyone with any ideas should pop them on a postcard to the Treasury.
2: What's up with students? Last week, Jermaine Greer cancelled a lecture at Cardiff University after a petition circulated calling for her to be disinvited due to her problematic views. When I was a student, visiting speakers included people such as the BNP's Nick Griffin and the radical Islamist Omar Bakri.
3: If we could cope with them, how come students today can't cope with Jermaine Greer? Is it time to reform the awful party conference season? John Burko, the Speaker, has suggested to party leaders it would be better to hold their conferences over a long weekend rather than having a three-week break for their annual jamborees, just nine days after they return from their summer holidays. It would benefit younger working party members, get greater media attention, and allow parliamentarians more time for their day jobs. So who, apart from alcoholics and adulterers, would really miss out?
0: Right, well, let's kick off with the great tax credits revolt. Sam and Patrick, I know, were there on Monday night when this happened, and I felt I was there myself. Sam, how come Osborne gets this so wrong? A man who we, as you say, we would regard him as one of the most sure-footed members of the Cabinet, and he seems to have got this wrong from start to finish. Should he not really have made these concessions himself, rather than sending out junior ministers to do it for him because they just weren't believed.
1: Well, how George Osborne got it wrong was the talk of the House of Commons Terrace last night after that um, catastrophic loss of basically the centrepiece of George Osborne's budget when the House of Lords threw out the £4.4 billion savings due from the tax credit reforms. What George Osborne has been doing over the last few weeks is hanging tough, on the central point of his budget, now that should, under normal circumstances, be smart politics and that 's what his advisors were telling him to do, and the whole of the treasury were united behind this plan. The problem is that, as the days and weeks passed by, more and more conservatives realized that at the center of this plan was a huge one off drop in income for lots of the lowest paid workers in this country. Uh, who would lose up to 1,300 quid on average um, out of their pay packets over the course of a year starting next April. And that was just a lot to swallow after the promises um, that were made by the Tories that they would look after working people in the election. So the question is, how did we end up here? And I'm going to try and peer into George Osborne's soul to work out what the basic calculation was that he was making. And I think it looks like this. George Osborne has learned by looking at the polls, by listening to focus groups, that there is no limit to the public's appetite to squeeze benefit spending, welfare spending. He does not think it is possible for a politician in this country to be too tough on benefit spending. And therefore, he he is adopting, and has increasingly, as the years have gone on, adopted a hang-tough approach on benefit spending. The problem, I think, is that most people don't quite realise that tax credits are benefit spending. These are, of course, adjustments to the amount of tax that you pay if you don't earn very much money. Mm. People just see them as their pay packet, and sometimes the, the, this amounts to quite a large amount of money. Was Gordon Brown's great innovation, an innovation for which he got almost no political credit and never trying to get very much political credit. People don't basically know they exist, but all of a sudden you're in a prospect of taking a, a lot of money out of people's pay packets directly, but that people hadn't seen as benefits. Now, people are very critical of what they see as scroungers people who don't go out to work who are able to live off the state and the conservatives have made a big play of cracking down on those people to sort of wide public acclaim in recent years but this group in order to raise the money is different these are people who go out mm. to work losing money a big chunk of money despite in many cases voting conservatives in the election because they thought they'd be looked after and
0: i just wonder whether george osborne got the definition of benefits wrong. Mm. And Sam, is, is there a sense in which what went on in the House of Lords a bit of a proxy because this revolt would have happened in any case in the Commons at some point presumably. We know that all manner of Conservative MPs were ready to rebel at the right moment. Was this a case where they, where they were quite happy to leave it to the Lords because of the way the procedure worked in this case?
1: George Osborne,
0: even in this, has been quite
1: lucky. By seeing the Lords defeat the tax credit plan, he's able to have a n- bloody great constitutional row about the role of the House of Lords. But the truth is that there was proper panic inside government last Thursday and Friday because of what's going to happen anyway today. The Finance Bill continues mm. to go through Parliament and there was an amendment down today, I, I think, to, to, to offer some additional help for tax credit, uh, for the lowest uh, for the sort of tax credit victims as it was, And uh, a lot of the potential rebel MPs who I've been speaking to were contacted on Thursday, Friday, asked how they stood, fears that the government, which has only the majority of 12, might actually be defeated because there'd been early talk of of additional help, but the Treasury seemed to sort of toughen up and and, and withdraw those suggestions more recently. And frankly, quite a lot of Tory MPs had lost patience. This was going to be a big moment today. Tory whips thought they might lose the vote. And if they lost it in the Commons, I think that... Things would be a hell of a lot more serious for George. There are undoubtedly more than 12 rebels. He undoubtedly mm. could have lost this in the comments. And I wonder whether, given that's the centrepiece of his budget, we might be approaching the territory of a resignation
0: issue if that was the case. Which probably explains, Hugo Rifkin, why he did cave in so immediately <laughs> once he'd got the y- result <laughs> I mean, what, from the Lords.
2: What, what astonishes me is, I mean, as you said, Sam, for such someone who's sort of renowned for being such a savvy politician, at what point did he see this coming? Did he. when? When the, this tax credits issue was was in the budget, did he not realise what this was going to entail? Did he not realise he was going to be taking money from huge huge, huge numbers of people who his party has been who has been banging on for ages? Are, should
1: should be his party's core supporters? Um, it, it's actually entirely unclear that the Treasury did a proper impact assessment of what would happen as a result of these measures. On the day of the budget, I remember asking the tra- Prime Minister, the Chancellor, spin doctor, and have you seen an impact assessment of that? And they said no. But I mean, how I mean, how proper do you need to do? You're taking tax credits away from people who get tax credits. Clearly,
2: that's going to be a reduction in income. I mean, that's that's Fisher Price stuff, right?
1: Yes. Okay. The problem is that
3: the government is arguing that this will all be offset by increases minimum wage and better housing benefit. And, but these all all come in over the next four and a half years, mm. and they seem to believe that the poor should be able to just make do with a bit of less money, £100 a month or more, and until the benefits come in and that that's not to understand what tiny margins people are living on well, yeah. they have to go to then to wonga or or to credit cards mm.
0: this
2: is precisely what I what I'm wondering is whether this feeds into the the whole basically the toff narrative that that, that that this government has been trying to get away from for so long this idea that they're good at balance sheets but they're very bad at actual people and actual people don't figure in figure into the thinking because i mean this does seem to have been something conceived and pursued without really having thought about the people at the other end who are going to be sitting there with smaller pay packets or is it the yeah. fact
0: that this that 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 there there is not a, a proper opposition at the moment has it has it has it made them all that little bit lax that they're not looking at things as politically as they should have done could that be a factor in all of this
1: Un- undoubtedly i think that one of the things that george osman thought strengthened his hand was the decision by labor to run a kind of campaign on it. it wasn't particularly subtle or or politically adept or politically smart campaign but nevertheless it's one of the big labor campaigns around at the moment and, and that encur- that kind of thing encourages George to, to, to dig in because he likes to define himself against the Labour Party, even one in such a parlous state as the as as it is under Jeremy Corbyn. So yes, there is there is there is a bit of the a bit of suffering because of the paucity of the of of, of the opposition. But also I you do see this in politics. People just think they've got the wind in their sails and George Osborne Seen as the ultimate Tory strategist, did manage to pull a surprise majority government out of the bag, mm. and has been acting as if you know he should take a lot of credit mm. for that in in recent times. And I think that that's that's difficult for them all. But I think you'll see a great deal of deflation in his um, in his pomp and, uh, yeah. and aggression in the yeah. in the days to come. Patrick,
0: you seem to enjoy your trip to the Lordship's house. Yes, it's fun. Impressive debate. I, I, I must say, uh, Baroness Meacher in her interviews on. On, on television last night was very impressive.
3: Yes, as was Baroness Hollis although she did a little bit of the, the tiny Tims by uh, using the word Christmas ten times when she was talking about when people become aware of <laughs> won't we think of the Christmas letters they'll be receiving on the doorstep. But this is the Lords doing what it should the, the House of Lords should be like Sergeant Wilson in Dad's Army. there to say, do you think that's wise sir? <laughs> and then the Commons should reflect on, on the revisions and the amendments they put forward. If this had been in a finance bill then there would have been even less of a, a constitutional case for the Lords to reject it. But they would have had a lot more time to debate it. Mm-hmm. They'd have had time to put down amendments. Um, instead, the government is, is suffering from steamrolling this through um, under a statutory instrument. And the House of Lords was packed, um, mm. and there were lots of people who took part in the debate, and this, this was them showing their their duty. Uh, I think Sam told
0: divisions. us the 96-year-old... Lord Carrington
1: came in? He was yeah. there. Lord Carrington. Lord Lloyd Webber flew in specially for a concert hall in New York in order to be there. And uh, and we also saw Lord Tebbit, who, for personal reasons, wasn't going to turn wasn't up today. To come, no. And clearly um, he was another one that um, had been impressed upon him, the importance of, uh, of of turning up. They didn't see this coming. I was talking to a senior aide, to, to somebody in the Leader of the Lord's Office, as the votes were going on, and I just watched his face, and it was, it was disbelief. And yesterday morning... There was chatter in government circles that they only really needed to win over 20 or so crossbenchers and they would have this vote in the bag. How catastrophically badly they have gained that as they have gained a lot of the points along the way. I think basically... George Osman was just in his pomp. He wasn't listening. He wasn't reflecting the views and of Boris colleagues. And
0: Boris and What do they think about this now, do you think?
1: Boris was in the smoking room last night, lording it. Boris, of course... <laughs> um, uh,
0: <laughs> That's a huge surprise. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: had a bit of a pop at tax credits around conference time and, uh, and, and, and afterwards to George's enormous irritation and he knows that um, what happened last night will have slightly changed the political calculation in MPs' minds about who the best person is to l- take over the party once David Cameron step, steps down before the end of the Parliament. It's sad that these things have to be done through this prism, but but they do, so we might as well talk about it. Good. Um, and uh, uh, and he was there um, just sucking up the, the acknowledgement for many Tory MPs that he'd been on the right side of the argument where, whereas his top rival... Had not now Boris has got to be very 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 careful in my view because uh, Westminster can overcorrect and I think if he's seen to to use this moment to advance his own ends um, that in itself will also be fa- a fairly ugly and uh, distasteful spectacle that uh, Tory MPs will recall from.
0: Well, knowing Bar- Boris, I'm sure he won't be too careful. Anyway, let's move on. Hugo, Jermaine Greer. I mean, you'd have thought. Once she was so right on that every university in the country probably wanted her, and now we find they don't want her because she said some disobliging things about transgender people. Take us through it.
2: Right. So, look, th- there's this sort of rolling issue in Britain's universities of people being no platforms, disinvited, generally shunned and pushed away, declared problematic. Speakers, normally the kind of progressive figures of an earlier generation, are suddenly found to be too too problematic for a younger generation. They've recently included well, there's Jermaine Greer, people like Mary Beard. This has happened mm. to Peter Tatchell. It happened to of all people. Yeah. Now th- there are various ways in which one can dive into this. One could note in passing that this does seem to happen rather more often with women than it does with men. Men seem to be allowed their problematic views. That's seem regarded as a quirk. When women have their problematic views, they are they are they are they are barred. Um, one could note it is almost always about some issue of transgender politics, which. Might strike many people as odd because that is a very niche sort of politics mm. um, affecting very few people. What I what I'm more interested in is is basically how we've got here and why. How we've moved from a stage where uh, universities were areas where where radical, disturbing debate was encouraged and fought, and that was that was that was how that was how nerds like us got our kicks, frankly, as students, mm. to a situation. Whereby problematic views are not allowed in, whereby campuses are felt that they ought to be safe spaces, um, and normally the way people respond to thinking about that is um, is simply to sort of condemn the new generation of students for their closed-mindedness, which I'm all for. Uh, you know, there's 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 a lot of reason to do that. However, is it is interesting to think about why? And in my in my column today, I I make the case that perhaps what's going on is that students today are. Um, they're a function of the world they live in. When we were all students, when an earlier generation was students, if you were, if you were a student 15 maybe even 10 years ago, universities were quite sheltered places. Um, complicated, difficult, problematic arguments didn't really, you had to invite them in to get them there and then you could fight with them and debate them. Mm. Whereas now students, are particularly politically minded students, are very active on social media. Their lives are a battleground anyway. And so they're trying to turn this one environment they can control into somewhere where they have to fight a little bit less. As I write in the column today, uh, uh, arguments, arguments no longer end. Political arguments no, no longer end. They mm. follow you home on your smartphone, and there's no show of hands at the end. So maybe it's a fairly rational, if for the future, sort of dangerous and to, difficult way for to, re- to, to re- be w- What do you think,
0: Patrick? The idea that you know, social media is now so out there that students need somewhere... They feel a little bit safer.
3: (laughs) Perhaps no, I completely uh, agree with Hugo. But it does seem close-minded. We've also had an an argument. You mentioned Julian Assange being banned by the Cambridge Union, Mm. who wasn't even going to show up. This was just whether his image could be beamed on a television screen. It's very worrying that our universities, which used to be places where people would debate and exchange views, and yes, they would reach a resolution, but actually the, the process was what mattered more yep. than the resolution, actually, have just become places where you shut down debate. I recall speaking to someone in the generation before me who, who talked about Enoch Powell coming to speak at Cambridge mm. and how there were throngs of people outside protesting, but he was still allowed in to speak at case and people shouted him down. They in were draws, drawing,
0: weren't they? People, would, I mean, Jermaine Greer, Greer not, even today, you'd think would be quite a... Quite a I mean, draw for a if university. You don't, like it, you don't have to go. Yeah. I mean, I I remember the day in um, it was I think it would be in
2: 1995. I write about it in the column when when Omar Bakri, the radical Islamist, I think currently in perhaps in jail in in Lebanon, I think he is now, uh, came as part of a debate about radical Islam, um, at the head of his I forget the name of his group his um, for whatever the 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 Islamist group he was he was he was at the time the head of, and there was this. Fiery, shouty debate in the Cambridge Union. It spilled out onto the streets afterwards. You had huddles of people all shouting at each other for obvious reasons. One side of the debate wasn't willing to go to the pub, and it was um, it was very um, it, it boiled down in the end. It because this was the nineties, is what everybody cared cared about. In the end, it boiled down to homosexuality, and it boiled down to to, uh, to mm. a, an ideology that would not tolerate homosexuality with the very sort of tolerant kind of sort of emerging lefty consensus that existed on the campus at the time. And it was thrilling and invigorating. And um, and I think I think students, particularly students who are interested in these sort of issues, they're they're missing out. They're missing out yeah. by not engaging with these things. You don't yeah. just get it from blocking the right people on Twitter. Yeah. You need to stare it in the face and have
1: a conversation with it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because what you're dealing with is uh, a small number of highly organised, uh, incredibly aggressive lobby groups who can whip up the most enormous social media storm in a matter of minutes, and it can actually be fairly terrifying. If you suddenly, even accidentally, find yourself at the centre cool, of that, yeah. and, um, and I'm afraid that's what it looks like is happening when people either deliberately or often inadvertently say something that they didn't intend to be disobliging about the trans community. The blowback can be quite extraordinary if you pay attention to it. But it, 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 social media isn't 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 another world. It is part of your world, yeah. and so you can't ignore it in, entirely. And what I'm interested in. Is whether or not anybody
0: else starts adopting those tactics. Uh, Sam, I'm sure one day that they'll be inviting you to universities, but did anybody get banned in your day? Uh, I can't. I, um, I defer to. Um, uh, Hugo, um, as a contemporary who
1: spent more time uh, in places like the Cambridge Union yeah, than yeah, I do, but I invite. The new, the new but
2: you must have spent precious little. Uh, and precious. then, uh, and I also yeah.
1: invite him to see me when I appear next month. <laughs> oh, <yeah.
3: laughs> Transgender issues is something I don't really want to touch with a barge pole. Except... But, 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 <laughs> no, but that's but that's, that's terrifying that, 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 that's, 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 pre- that's precisely that's the point. The I mean, I've, I've rarely written a column
2: as carefully yes. as I wrote today's column. I, I, I sort of I checked terminology. I I, I, I was going to ask tickles. how long it took you. Oh, a long time. Yeah. Is and, yeah. and 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 I'll, I'll be I'll be off Twitter today it's of course an issue for for people affected I mean we are talking about a very marginalized group that does yes. face problems in their daily life that that most people absolutely don't they deserve but they do face
3: more of a problem of 30 years ago absolutely but they still they deserve all of our support of they course, deserve yes. every manner
2: of support what I try and address in the column is why their that uh, their cause is has become so vociferously championed by people who don't really have anything to do with it mm. there's there's a there's a there's a high, high high level of there's a high vicariousness to the manner in which student politics latches on to trans politics which has something to do as i write it, it well, i mean mick Hume made a very very good case that trans politics is is what well, uh, uh, um, yeah trans politics is the, l- the logical extension of identity politics whereby mm. your own interpretation of yourself is the one that matters mm. and other people have to not just lump it but accept it and so and so the, 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 there's in a strange sort of way uh, a vicarious championing of of trans politics and
0: no platforming sort of go together We must move on to the last item. And uh, I must say, this idea has come rather late for me in my career, um, having covered 40 years of party conferences, the idea of wrapping them all up into a weekend sounds very attractive to me. But, uh, Patrick, well, what do you think? You obviously love party conferences cause you haven't been doing them for very long. Well, having
3: done my first full season of, of all five of, of, of them, I hate to say it, but I think UKIP and the SNP have got it right. Start Start on a Friday, be done by yep. the end of the weekend. At the moment we have a situation where, where they, they tend to begin on a Sunday, they go on through Wednesday, this is for the Labour Tories and, and Lib Dems, it takes up all, all week and therefore Parliament has to stop for a week. And we had this ludicrous situation uh, that they came back after the summer recess, they had nine days in work and then they went off again for, for for three weeks and so between July the 21st and October the 12th we had Parliament sitting for nine days in total and John Berker has written a piece saying the party leaders mm. really this is a waste of time, there's lots of big issues that should have been debated (laughs) over september but it's also it struck me uh, that if you have a a midweek conference it, it attracts people who are either professional lobbyists or who are old or retired and that if party numbers are increasing as the parties say they are then perhaps it's more sensible for them to to make it more family friendly but certainly for journalists it's just it's hell
0: what about you, Sam?
1: Well, um, I'm not surprised that you feel a little jaded because you broke the first rule of this year's party conference season, Patrick, which is you went to the Liberal Democrat conference. <laughs> there is no point in going to the Liberal Democrat conference. You don't go to the DUP conference. They both have eight MPs. The DUP have more power. I've made this point you just, before you just, here. You just invite
3: them over to your house.
1: Uh, <laughs> do it there. I'm sure they're on Twitter. It's easier. But um,
3: Parliament stopped for a week for eight MPs, uh,
1: which, which is, seems ludicrous. Which sentiment. is utterly, utterly. Ludicrous, but so um, is um, spending much too too much time on the Liberal Democrats. Uh, it's undoubtedly right, and and uh, and, of, and of course all of that is um, uh, everything you say is is utterly sensible. And I think John Birko is 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 right with one interesting um, little um, sort of nuance. The reason that party conference, when I started a mere ten years ago, it would be Saturday to Thursday for most of the major parties. The reason it's that a boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the reason that um, Saturday the party, to Thursday I know, <laughs> we'll remember how I looked at the end of it yeah. and um, the reason that it got truncated is really party conferences is, is um, at party conferences on about the leader's speech, the cha- the shadow chancellor, the chief finance minister's speech, and one or two other speeches. And there's nothing democratic or kind of grassrootsy about the occasion. This is it's a, it's a, a fund a fundraising exercises for parties to extract money from corporates. There is one new exception to that, which is the direction that Jeremy Corbyn is taking the Labour Party in. I have no idea what we're all going to be doing um, with Labour Party Conference next year, but I'm sure as hell that you won't be able to squeeze the important stuff into two days because <laughs> there are going to be very important votes that determine the future direction um, of that party, be that um, towards winning another general election or into a bin. I, I can't tell at this stage, but they are re they are going to reinvigorate the democratic element, for better or for worse, in the Labour Party and that's going to take um, some time. That means conference is going to become more of a thing in a way that it hasn't just been a, a leadership and finance minister rally uh, of you know pretty much the last decade in, in which I've been um, covering it, so there is there is interesting times ahead um, uh, triggered by Jeremy Corbyn's uh, mm. uh, kind of change of direction for the Labour Party, and I don't quite know how you do squeeze all of that into a kind of uh, a magical weekend by the seaside.
0: And of course, Hugo, if we if if we, if Burke got his way, they, it would mean the House of Commons would be sitting longer, the recesses would be shorter than. Um than, they they than, are. The, than
2: the incredible length that they, that they currently are. Yeah, but yeah. I, I mean, I suppose they do have to do something in that time. I don't know. I, I, I'm afraid I'd, I disagree with Patrick. Speaking as a hack, I'd, I'd much rather give up a week than a weekend. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I do miss. You know, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. You never t- turned up till
1: Monday anyway.
2: Well, that's exactly. Um, I, I don't. So off. I don't always go to party conferences anymore. I went to. I went to. I dropped in at a couple this year, but I am. Um, I do slightly miss the days where it used to be where it was the activists, and you'd, mm. go, you'd go somewhere ludicrous like Blackpool, and, um, and and it would be all sort of li- little old ladies sort of ha- having the, having their nice day out. And it, and it isn't; it's not quite the same
3: now. It's all lobbyists and lobbyists and, and, and scum like us. Well, mm. that's a side effect of moving to big city centres, so it's far more expensive to stay in Manchester yeah. or Birmingham. Yeah. Whereas yeah. you're right, but Blackpool you could have And whether the, the hotels would just have you
0: for that. the weekends, I don't know. But that's a, that's another matter. Look, we've got to finish there. Thanks to Hugo Rifkin. Sam Coates and Patrick Kidd. Just to let you know, any more information, go to thetimes.co.uk. Redbox, you can get by going to redbox. thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox forward slash sign up. Thank you very much, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.